Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I am so happy to be here today, here in this place with my St. Luke's family, who I've missed so much over the long COVID months, and here in this pulpit. Over the past several years, and and when I say several, I mean about 30, I've been discerning a call to the ordained ministry. And with the support and guidance of the St. Luke's clergy and the entire body of St. Luke's, I stand before you now as a postulant for holy orders in the Diocese of Atlanta. Now, my call is not to the priesthood, but rather to the vocational diaconate. And since I've been here at St. Luke's, we've not had the privilege of the presence of a deacon with us. The role of a deacon is to stand in the gap between the world and the church, bringing the needs of the world to the altar of the church and the love and work of the church out to the needs of the world. My work at the Ansley School will continue as my my work in the world. And in the future, unfortunately, or fortunately, my placement on Sundays will be at the discretion of the bishop. But for today, my invitation is to be here in this pulpit, and I am honored. So I have always felt a call to preach, um, but as a layperson, there's just not that many opportunities for preaching. So I have about a million sermon ideas rattling around in my head. And most of them have something to do with the great passages, the grand sagas, the parables, the miracles of Scripture. So I must admit that when I read the Gospel lesson for today, I was a little underwhelmed. It might be seven of the most benign verses I've ever read in Scripture. And, you know, basically nothing happens. Jesus kind of walks around with his disciples, they hang out some, they teach some people, they heal some people, and then they all leave. And it's not even the grand miraculous healing that we so often hear about in scripture. He just heals them and then they move on. How am I supposed to make a sermon out of that? That's what you get when you're a new preacher, right? So when I look a little closer at this passage, what I notice is that it's actually not seven consecutive verses. It's actually, we read verse 30 through 34, and then we skip all the way to verse 52. So what could be so much more inconsequential and inconsequential and mundane that the creators of our lectionary would leave those 20 verses out and leave in what we have today? Well, let me enlighten you. What we skip over today is the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. So there must be some mistake there, right? We took all the drama out, we took all the miracles out, we took all the excitement out, and what we're left with is the mundane, ordinary, everyday comings and goings of Christ in his time here on life, life here on earth. So to give you a little more context, what leads directly up to the gospel today is the beheading of John the Baptist. So truly, we skipped around all the exciting pieces of the gospel today. Our church year, when you look at it, is divided into several seasons. We have Advent, Christmas, we have Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and as Episcopalians, we do a really great job at celebrating and and marking the beauty and power of these seasons. 
You can ask any clergy person. During Advent, they're already starting to plan for what's going to happen during Lent and Easter. And during Easter, they're already starting to plan what's going to happen during Advent. But truthfully, the majority of our church year is not spent in these seasons. The majority of our church year is spent in the in-between times. We are right now in the season which goes from Pentecost to Advent, in, called the Sundays after Pentecost. Much of our church year is spent in this very in-between in time, between the excitement, between the seasons. And, you know, thankfully, much of my life, I feel, is spent in the ordinary in-between time, between seasons. In the Catholic Church, they actually call this ordinary time. From the miracles of Jesus, what we learn are things that we don't learn in ordinary time. From the miracles of Jesus, what we learn is that Jesus is God incarnate, that Jesus is both human and divine, that Jesus came to usher in a new order. We sense the majesty and the power of the living spirit. When we read scripture, it's easy to be swept away by the transformational glory of the awe of these big events. The drama and excitement of these miracles can easily overshadow the importance of the everyday example set by Jesus. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is asking those around him not to reveal his identity. Why would Jesus want to keep his identity secret? Could it be because he didn't fully understand it himself? Or could it be because he didn't want to be accepted for the wrong reasons? Richard Rohr ponders that maybe the legacy and example that Jesus wanted to leave in his humanity was one of suffering, service, and love. And he didn't want his entire time here on earth to be boiled down to a flash-in-the-pan magician or wonder worker. Jesus had a message that could truly change the world. But if we strictly focus on the drama, we will miss our part in how we can play a role in continuing Jesus' ministry on earth. Our friends in the Roman Catholic Church describe ordinary time as a time for growth and maturation, a time in which the mystery of Christ is called to penetrate ever more deeply into history until all things are finally caught up in Christ. Think about that last phrase for a moment. This in-between time in which we spend so much time is when the mystery of Christ is called to penetrate ever more deeply into history until all things are finally caught up in Christ, until the work of God can become ever incarnate through the children of God. Now, I'm sure you all remember several years ago here in Georgia when we had a really significant drought, and the governor ordered a, or organized a prayer vigil on the steps of the Capitol. Hundreds of people gathered to pray for rain. They prayed for a long time for rain, and guess what? It didn't rain that day, it didn't rain that week. I don't think it rained for months after. Now, eventually it did rain. But what did we hear after that prayer vigil? God is dead. God doesn't exist. Prayer is a waste of time. This is the danger of our faith being diluted down to just a faith of miracles and dramatic events. When in fact, if we really want to have a sustaining faith, we need to focus on what Jesus did in between. What Jesus did when Jesus' life maybe looked a little bit more like our lives. Now, my family is quite large. My husband has 12 brothers and sisters. 
And so there are many times when I am called to put a meal on the table for 20, 40, 60, 80 people. And it feels like it's going to take a miracle of grand proportions to make it happen. But typically, in my day-to-day life, the power that Jesus harnessed to feed 5,000 or walk on the water does not really translate into my role, our role in ushering in the kingdom of God. But what Jesus does in his ordinary time, when his life does look more like our lives, that, my friends, is when we can truly understand our role in being the hands and feet of God on the earth. So maybe the creators of the lectionary were actually quite inspired and wise. For if they had left the verses in, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking, Jesus walking on water, our message today would likely be quite different. So I'd like to take a moment and look at these seven verses. The disciples had just learned of the brutal death of John the Baptist. And how did Jesus respond? Not with a miracle, not with an earthquake. Jesus said to his disciples, Come away by yourselves to someplace more remote and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and the apostles had not had time to eat. Jesus cared for his friends. He offered them space and rest after a tragedy. He honored their need for some quiet, restorative time with one another. Dare I say, he offered them space for self-care. Now, this may surprise some of you all, but I really like to get things done. Achievement and productivity are some of my greatest strengths, but also my kryptonite. Self-care is not something I typically prescribe for myself because I always feel that I'm wasting the precious time that God's given me to make a difference in the world. But this is not what Jesus shows us. On this painful, busy day, when crowds of desperate people are moving in, needing a bit of the healing balm that only Jesus can provide them, Jesus paused and made a point to provide space for renewal of his beloved disciples. Now, if anybody had an excuse to try to pack more miracles into a day, it was Jesus. Basically, he was given a three-year ministry to save the world. If someone said, you have three years to save the world, I guarantee you that what I would do is plan and organize and rush and work, figuring there'd be plenty of time for rest afterwards. But this is not what we see when we look at the example of Jesus in his in-between actions. Jesus rested and allowed space for others to rest, not because the work was done, but because it was time. It's much like the Jewish call to Sabbath. Jews are not called to enter into Shabbat when the last email is sent and the last phone call is returned. They are called to enter into Sabbath time when the sun sets on Friday night, no matter what is left on their to-do list. And as wonderful and restorative as that holy time of rest is, they are also called not to hold on to it too tightly. Because although rest is a very important part of the cycle, it is only one part of the divine whole. After a time of rest and renewal, Jesus gently reminds his disciples that there is still work to be done. He gathers them together like a shepherd gathers his sheep, and he steadies them and settles them. And then he asks them to help him draw in the crowd of needy onlookers because they look lost and in need of their own shepherd. 
So together they cared for the crowd. And then the healing began. Now, most of us will never be able to touch someone and physically restore them to health, although that does happen. But this healing, I believe, that Jesus shows us in this passage is a healing that we can ignite. It is a healing that's ignited by loving care, rest and renewal, and gathering together of those around us. This is something we can do. This is living the life of Christ. It's not dramatic or headline-making, but it's a model that we can all follow. Rest and renew, gather together, offer loving care. This is what happens in these seven verses. In the middle of the drama and the grand miracles and the crushing needs of the world, Jesus saved space for rest and renewal, gathering together, and loving. The world can go where it wants, political tides can shift as they do, but today Jesus is calling us to be steady, to take, the offer, take and offer space of rest and renewal, to gather together, and to offer loving care. This message can get lost in overanalyzing and a need for extravagant grand gestures and headlines, but in the end, it's a pretty simple call. In Between Time is about transformation. It's about a gradual growth that happens in our lives and by which we become more like Jesus Christ. During ordinary time, we are given the opportunity to examine our lives in light of the gospel, in light of the whole life of Christ, and not just the miracles and grand acts of majesty. The more we reflect on the Gospels, the more the teaching and example of Jesus Christ will fill our minds and take root in our daily life. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to read the scriptures with a little bit of a different eye from now on. I'm going to read with a new eye that looks at the example of Jesus in the ordinary times, when his life was a little more ordinary so that when my life can look a little bit more like his life. Amen. <laughs> 